Christchurch, New Malden, 28th of June, 2020. Nathan Larkin speaking on Biblical Wisdom for a Modern World. I've heard it said that in the world today, there is plenty of knowledge, but very little understanding. Plenty of means, but little meaning. Plenty of know-how, but too little know-why. And plenty of sight, but not enough insight. In a word, what we sorely lack today is wisdom. But what is wisdom? And how does wisdom differ from its close relations, knowledge, understanding and discernment? Knowledge comes from the ability to see, to hear and to learn through experience. Knowledge, I suppose, resides in the intellect. Understanding, on the other hand, is more about insight into the nature of a thing. It's a deeper level of knowing. I might have the knowledge that a computer works with a binary code of zeros and ones, for example, but I definitely don't understand how a computer works. And then there's discernment. Discernment is the ability to recognise the difference between one thing and another, and often involves our feelings about what's right and wrong. A discerning person will not only distinguish one thing from another, but will normally go on to make a moral judgement about it. But what we're going to think about this morning is wisdom. And it's more than any of these things. Biblical wisdom goes beyond knowledge, beyond understanding and beyond discernment. In the Bible, the word that's translated as wisdom is chokmah. And it isn't just about head knowledge. In fact, it's, it's more closely related to and most often translated as this idea of a master craftsperson who has learned their various skills and their abilities and they're putting them into action. The same word that we translate as wisdom is also used to describe skill in spinning, tailoring, engraving, and all sorts of other things. But over and above all of these exercises of wisdom, the greatest wisdom that we learn in scripture is found in the skill of living well in God's world and according to his purposes. In recent weeks, we've been reflecting on a number of ways that our world is currently out of sync with God's intention for his creation. In the new creation, of course, there will be no more sickness or death, which means that these times of quarantine and illness are not how things ought to be. A couple of weeks ago, Becky talked to us about the catastrophic damage to our environment that our choices and lifestyles have been a part of bringing about. Again, this demonstrates how far out of sync we often are with how God wants us to be living. And just last week, we began to discuss the terrible disease of racism, which has been allowed to rot and fester in our society for too long. Yet another way that we need to begin to tune in to God's frequency for life and living, which will offer us something immeasurably more just and inclusive. True wisdom is to recognise the nature of this world that God has designed and created, and to attempt to live in harmony with it. In other words, true wisdom is getting tuned into God's frequency for life and living within that frequency. The book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Job all make up the Old Testament wisdom literature. And together they teach us an important lesson about the meaning of life. These wisdom books offer three different perspectives on how to live well in God's good world. But importantly, it's only when they're read together that these books fully reveal the collected wisdom of generations of godly people and invite us to consider the complexity and simplicity of living wisely. 
The Bible Project is an online library of animations and other content designed to make the Bible more accessible in a digital age, and I couldn't recommend it any higher. But they, as a thought experiment, have helpfully imagined each of these books as a person. So Proverbs is described as a brilliant young teacher, and Ecclesiastes as a sharp middle-aged critic, while Job is like the weathered old man who's seen a lot in his day. But I thought we might start by looking at the book of Proverbs, the brilliant teacher. Now Proverbs, she's not just smart. She's smart about everything. Work, relationships, sex, spirituality. She has incredible insights, things you just wouldn't see on your own. She would basically be the perfect friend to have around when you need really specific advice. So what is it that makes her so smart? Well, Proverbs, she can see things that most people don't see. She describes how there's an invisible creative force in the universe called hokma, as we said, or wisdom. Um, and this force, that can guide people and show them how they should live. In Proverbs chapter 1, it puts it this way. The rebelliousness of fools will destroy them, but the one who listens to wisdom lives in security. It's almost like a moral law of the universe. It's like Proverbs is saying, if you tune in with this wisdom, here will be the results. But the other really important thing to know about Proverbs is that because wisdom isn't some impersonal force, and because it's actually an attribute of God himself, then your journey to becoming wise has to begin with what Proverbs calls the fear of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord isn't about being scared of God, but instead, it's a healthy respect for God's definition of good and evil. And therefore, true wisdom means learning those boundary lines and not crossing them. Perhaps when you think of Proverbs, you mainly remember the collection of sayings that do make up the bulk of the book. But to understand their purpose, they need to be set in the context that I've just described. It's a collection of hundreds and hundreds of proverbs or wise sayings about any and all aspects of life. And then wisdom gets applied to them, resulting in this clever guidance to help you find a path towards success. The idea is that if you design your life by these sayings, then life is going to be good. Or as Proverbs itself puts it, it will give health to your bones, prosperity and a long rich life, which is really quite the claim. But you can sort of see how that's often the case. People who show wisdom tend to do better. Things usually work out well for them in life. And so that's the promise and the wisdom of the book of Proverbs, or the bright young teacher. Life is all about pursuing wisdom, and she's really optimistic that if you use wisdom, you will build a successful life. Now, it's really a beautiful book, and it's packed with wisdom. But if we take a step back, some people might argue that it's a little too simplistic. Because sometimes horrible things happen to really wise people. And sometimes foolish people seem to get rewarded. It doesn't always work out the way we think it should work. Which is why we need to go and listen to our next wise friend, Ecclesiastes, the critic. Because he's wrestled with that very problem. And he's going to push us further into our journey to find wisdom. So Ecclesiastes is more like the sharp middle-aged critic. And what does he have to say? Well, he says, you think using wisdom will bring you success? Well, you better think again, because life here under the sun is meaningless. 
That's a quote. Ecclesiastes is a book of the Bible that repeats that phrase over and over and over. But why should we listen to this negative critic who, who seems convinced that life is meaningless? Well, the author wants to turn our view of the world upside down. And to do that, he's going to let the critic explore three really disturbing things about the world. The first one is the march of time. The critic says, generations come and generations go, but the earth, it's been here long before us and will be long after. No one remembers people from long ago and all the people yet to come, they too will be forgotten by those who come after them. And so on a cosmic scale, you and I, we're just a blip. My entire existence is like a blink in time. Not particularly hopeful, but it does lead us to the second disturbing observation that the critic is making that one day we're all going to die. He says this, humans face the same fate as the animals, death. All people, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, those who offer sacrifices to God and those who do not, they all share the same destiny. All this activity and madness, and then we all join the dead. So why bother? Seriously, he's a little depressing. And so is his final disturbing observation, that life is often so random in nature. Now, if you remember in Proverbs, life isn't random at all. There's a clear cause and effect relationship between doing the right thing and being rewarded. But the fact is that life doesn't always work that way. The critic has observed what he describes as a glitch in the system, which he calls chance. He puts it like this. The race doesn't always go to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor does food always come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favour to the educated. Time and chance happen to them all. And this is something that we can all probably relate to. We've all at times asked ourselves questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? Or maybe we say, that person was way too young to die. They had so much life left in them. Coronaviruses really reminded us of how little control we have in life. And, and that's really the critic's point. He says you can't really control anything in life. It's just way too unpredictable. And if you want to master life, well, then you're setting yourself up for a fall. But throughout the book, the critic is actually using a metaphor to tie all of these disturbing ideas together. Nearly 40 times he says that everything in life is hevel. It's a Hebrew word that means smoke or vapour. And like smoke, life is beautiful and mysterious. It takes one shape, and before you know it, it takes a new shape. And smoke looks solid, but if you try to grab it, it'll slip right through your fingers. And when you're stuck in the thick of it, like fog, it's impossible to see clearly. Try as they might, our modern translations have lost this metaphor, and they usually translate hevel, as meaningless. But if you read closely, the critic isn't saying that life has no meaning, but rather that its meaning is never clear. Like smoke, life is confusing, it's disorienting and uncontrollable. So what are we supposed to do with all this? Well, surprisingly, the critic first of all acknowledges the perspective of Proverbs. He says it's still a really good idea to learn wisdom and to live in the fear of the Lord. He basically has the same conclusions, but he just doesn't guarantee success as we expect it. He simply knows that being in sync with God's wisdom is the right thing to do. 
But secondly, and more often, he repeats that since you can't control your life, you should stop trying. Learn to hold things with an open hand, because you really only have control over one thing, and that's your attitude towards the present moment. Stop worrying, he says, and choose to enjoy a good conversation with a friend, or the sun on your face, or a good meal with people that you care about, the simple things in life. To learn to live with both the good things and the bad, because both are rich gifts from God, and that's the surprising wisdom of Ecclesiastes. Now, listening to this critic can be painful, and it can lead us into some pretty dark places. And that's why the author speaks up at the end of the book. He doesn't want us to lose hope. He wants to make us humble. Into people who trust that life has meaning, even when we can't make sense of it. And he wants us to know that one day, God will clear the smoke and bring his justice on all that we've done. And so he tells us that the proper response to all of this, again, is the fear of the Lord and to keep his commandments. So Proverbs showed us that God is wise and just, that he has ordered the world so that it's fair. The righteous are rewarded, the wicked are punished. But then we met Ecclesiastes who observes that people don't always get what they deserve, that life is unpredictable and hard to grasp. And it's no surprise then that the main question that Job is focusing on is this. Is God really wise and just after all? Now Job begins with a strange story that takes place up in the heavens, which are described something like a heavenly command centre. God is there with these angelic creatures called the sons of God, and they're all reporting for duty. God points out this guy Job, his servant, showing how righteous and good he is. But then one of these angelic creatures approaches, and he's referred to in Hebrew as the Satan, which actually is a title which literally means the one who is opposed or the accuser, perhaps think the leader of the opposition. So out of this whole crowd, he's the one questioning how God is running the world, and he proposes that Job might not actually love God after all that he's only a good person because God rewards him. If God were to take away all of the good things in Job's life, then we would see his true colours. But God doesn't agree, and he approves this experiment, and he allows the Satan to inflict suffering on Job. And so Job loses everyone and everything that he cares about. It is devastating. And remember, we know that Job deserves none of this. God himself said so. At some moments, Job is very confident that God is still wise and just, yet in other moments he's doubting God's goodness. He comes, in the end, to accuse God of being reckless, unfair and corrupt. So by the end of the dialogue, Job demands that God come and explain himself in person. And God does. So he comes to Job in the form of a great storm cloud. But God doesn't give Job a direct answer. He doesn't tell Job about the conversation we heard about with the Satan, which might seem like the simplest explanation. But instead, he takes Job on a virtual tour of the universe. He shows Job how grand the world is, and he asks him if he's capable of running it or understanding it even just for a day. He shows how much detail there is in the world, things that we might see every day but don't understand at all. But God does. He understands and he knows it all intimately. And then, that's it. That's God's whole defence. He rests his case. Now, it may seem pretty strange, but what God wants Job to know 
is that from Job's point of view, it looks like God is not just or fair. But God's perspective is infinitely bigger. God is dynamically interacting with a whole universe of complexity when he makes decisions. And this is what God calls his wisdom. In the end, we realise that Job asking God to defend himself is actually pretty absurd. But where does this leave us? Well, it left Job in a place of humility. He never learned why he suffered, and yet he's able to live in peace and in the fear of the Lord. Job is now the kind of person who, no matter what comes, good or bad, he can trust in God's wisdom. So what are we to take from this? How do we learn to live as God wants? Where do we find wisdom? Well, firstly, I hope that we can all learn not to hold too tightly onto the idea that we control our lives. I think that's a lesson that the past few months have given all of us, whether we like it or not. But I hope that the other thing we might learn is that faith is not about seeking out rewards. God doesn't want us to follow him so that we have easy or successful lives. He wants us to seek his wisdom and to follow his ways because it's the right thing to do. Not just for us, but for the whole of his creation. In life, we may not have all of the answers, but we worship a God who keeps his promises. And our hope is for a future where his just rule covers all of creation. An end to injustice, a restoration of creation, and a universal community of love. So next time you're met with some of these big questions in life, How do I comfort someone who is suffering? How do I respond to racism? How should my existence affect the environment? Let's remember not to depend solely on our own wisdom or that of those around us, but instead let's focus on tuning into God's frequency for life and living, recognising the nature of the world that God has designed and created, and let's attempt to live in harmony with it as we learn what it means to live with wisdom and in the fear of the Lord.